Amen. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for the blood of the Lamb? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. Father, it is such an honor to sing our praises of worship to you. Lord, it's such a, a privilege, Lord, to partake in communion as we reflect back on not only what you did for us at the cross, but that you're coming back, Lord God. Oh, thank you for being a living Savior. Lord, now we're going to open up our Bibles and we pray as always, Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our understanding. We ask that you'd speak to us today, that today you'd make application of your word to our life, and that today you would do great and mighty things. Holy Spirit, we give you permission for thy will to be done. For it's in your precious name we pray, and together we all would say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, worship team. Praise the Lord. Can you guys believe it's November already? Man, I I missed 2018 and now 19's almost over. Wow, but I'm glad that the heat's gone. Been nice, been beautiful. And uh, just this is Arizona, right? Praise the Lord. Hey, we're studying our way through the awesome Word of God. We're in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings and we're up to chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. If you're with us today and don't have a Bible and like to study along with us, we do have some Bibles at the front and the back of the church. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep those. We just ask that you read it every day. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, we're in a very interesting section of chapter 8. We saw that verse, we went through last week all the way through verse 6, and we've been seeing that uh, it's been dealing with the history of the, the kings. We had the divided nations of Judah and Israel, and we keep going back and forth and, and learning some history from each of those. And what we saw is where we are now as we get to chapter 8, verses 7, we have been studying where we look at today is actually a transition portion of Scripture. We see that Israel, the nation of Israel, of course Judah's doing their thing too, but Israel, they're moving farther and farther away from God and closer and closer to failure and to captivity. They are a, a very scary and realistic picture of people today. I've got a scripture, I've shared it not too long ago, but if you'd put on the overhead please, Jeremiah 8 verse 9 tells us this, and it is so appropriate for us even today. It says, the wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Now notice the bottom part. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom do they face? Let me kind of give you the clay translation of that. The clay translation is this, is the farther we get away from the word of God, the goofier people get. And it's just not Buckeye, friends. Right? The nation of Israel was getting farther and farther away from God and trouble was happening to them. They were just getting crazy. We saw that where we are in our Scripture, we saw that, that because of Elisha, and how many of you know and how many of you appreciate the fact that God's always got a remnant. No matter how crazy the world gets, God's always got faithful men and women of God who will stand up, right? And so, uh, Elisha, we saw because of Elisha, the nation was saved. We saw that, that the, the armies of the Syrians, he struck blind, remember, and led them right into the capital, and then they showed him kindness and took him back. That slowed things down a little bit. We saw that they came out of this very severe seven-year famine that they caused themselves because of their wickedness, because of their idolatry. And we saw things got so bad that they were eating donkey's heads and dove dung. That's, that's just not a good diet. 
And so God did this great miracle. And then we saw that the famine was over. And we saw God's providence in restoring the Shunammite's widows and her son's land back to her after she left and after she lost it because of the famine. So God is moving, but the people aren't responding the way that they should. Now, I hope you're all with me because that leads us into where we are right now. The balance of chapter 8, a lot of Bible teachers kind of skip over or, or will challenge you. Read that on your own. There's not much there and because a lot of good stuff happens in chapter 9. Well, how many of you know I'm not like your typical preacher? Amen. Now, I am very aware that on communion Sundays, we tend to run long because we celebrate communion. I will not keep you late. Uh, we will get out on time. It is daylight savings time. Just kidding. Just kidding. It is a small portion of Scripture, but there are a lot of great, great uh, lessons for us. So let's start reading. If you have your Bibles open, 2 Kings chapter 8, we're going to read verses 7 through 15. Let's read. The Word of God says, Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And then the king said to Hazel, Take a present in your hand and go and meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And so Hazel went to meet him and took a present with him. Check out this gift. And every, of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads, 40, four, zero. Camels are a great beast of burden. They could carry a lot. They were used in wartime and peacetime, caravans and all this stuff. So this is a lot of good stuff, right? Damascus was a major trade route, so they had the best of the whole world happening there, right? So 40 camel loads, and he came and he stood before Elisha, and he said, your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, Go and say to him, You shall certainly recover, however the Lord has shown me that he will really die. He answers yes and no. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Let's stop right there, bring us up to this point, and then we will read the rest of it. Now this is a very interesting portion of Scripture because we see here, first of all, that the prophets of Israel, very, very rarely would they go into the enemy's camp. But here they're going to, he's going into Syria. We've just been reading three chapters of how Syria has been making war with Israel, has been treating them very severely, and they haven't been on good terms, but yet the prophet of God goes there. Here's the first point if you're taking notes that we can take is uh, uh, we are called to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every living creature. Is anyone else freezing in here? I see people doing this, and I'm like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it'll work out. Now, I'll just let me just say this. This side is running a little colder than this side. So if you're cold, you can go this side. If you're hot, you can go to this side. All right? And then by then, the, they'll change, and it'll be vice versa. So hang tight. Anyway, I just... I. I I guess the point here is I can see what you guys do in the pew. About to move that side. Our point, friends, is that we're called to go into all the world. The whole world needs the Lord Jesus Christ. 
right? Would you put Proverbs 28.1 on the overhead? Now, this is very interesting. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, right? Why? Well, because we saw earlier in the Jeremiah chapter that when you get away from God, you kind of go crazy, right? So no one's chasing them. They run. But here's the one that applies to us, the bottom line. But the righteous, those who follow God, those who serve God, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Here's Elisha going into enemy territory, facing a king that wants to kill them, and he's being very bold. In fact, the king even gives him gifts. So the second part of that point is this, that sometimes God will send us to people that we may not want to be sent to. That, that nasty neighbor that causes you to wish that the county would let you build a 12-foot fence. <laughs> That horrible co- co-worker that you just, you don't wish him ill, you just don't want to hang out with him, right? How many of you know sometimes you're the best witness for that person? But sometimes God calls us to, to go to people, to places that we might not want to go to, but everyone needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Also notice this, please, that they may not, they may not admit it, but everyone is seeking God. Ben-Hadad, who had all these idols and things going on around him, he's seeking the Lord Jehovah. Now, it's probably because of Nahum. Remember, his general Nahum was healed of leprosy at the ministry of Elisha. So he, he's heard about Elisha. He's heard about this God Elisha serves. And so he is seeking. And so God always responds to someone who is seeking the Lord. He sends the, the prophet there because Ben-Hadad is seeking God. That's why we need to be sensitive to the moving and the urging of the Holy Spirit. We may not know why God is bringing us somewhere, but God might be aligning things so that we could be the vessel that tells someone about Jesus Christ. Amen? And so they go there. All this is happening. Now, what about this crazy answer? Yes and no. Well, as we're going to read, we're going to see that this illness isn't terminal, but his life is going to be terminated. Let's start reading at verse 11. Then he, this is Elisha, set his countenance. He's looking at Hazel. Uh, This Hazel kind of took Naaman's place. He's now the second in command. And he's staring at him until he was ashamed. You ever have someone give you that awkward stare? You know, and you you, kind of start looking around like, what's this? And you start thinking, do I have my face? Right? And Elisha's just staring at him. And he gets a little uncomfortable. And Hazel's getting a little ashamed at this but look what happens i think we miss this and the man of god wept jesus wept jeremiah wept the apostle paul wept and elisha wept why did they weep well all of them weep wept not for themselves but because they saw what was happening to the people Look what, what's going on here in verse 12. And Hazel said, well, why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. And you will dash their children and rip open their women with children. You'll start killing the unborn babies. You're going to start uh, uh, killing the men. How many of you know our society is killing off young men? Now, not physically with swords, but, but we're turning men into women. We're killing unborn babies. Okay, you're, that's not politically correct. I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher of the gospel. 
And it's the gospel that's what people need, right? We need to be like Elisha's and not be afraid to step up and say, hey, this is the deal. But more important, friends, we need to be like Elisha and start weeping for the wickedness that's going on in the world. I, I honestly believe that if more Christians wept over the wicked, there would be less wicked. Because it would cause us to do something about it. Make sense? So he says, I see what you're going to do. And all this we will see happening in chapter 10. It'll happen. Well, Hazel, this kind of freaks him out a little bit. This is some brutal activity. And he goes, but what is your servant, a dog? Now remember, in that culture, dogs weren't like they are in our culture. Here there are beloved pets. They become family members. You know, we dress them. I bought Snoop a sweater. I swore I would never dress my dog. I had to buy poor Snoop a sweater because it's cold. And uh, she looked at me like, what are you doing to me? And uh, the dogs were mean. They were scavengers. They ran in packs. And he says, I'm not mean. I'm not wicked. Why, Why would I do something like that? That he should do this gross thing. Now, how many of you know that Jeremiah tells us that the heart is wicked and desperately evil, right? You never know what man will do when he has power. See, the test of character isn't how you go through the hard times. It's how you go through the, the mountaintop times. Right? And Elisha says, Well, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. The Lord has shown me this. And so, friends, God has given him a little view into, into the future. And he goes on to say, verse 14, and so he departs from Elisha, and he comes back to Ben-Hadad, his master, and he says to him, that Ben-Hadad says, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he only gives him part of the answer. He says, he told me you shall surely recover. That's not exactly what he said. He said, the disease won't kill you. You would have recovered from this disease, but there's more coming. Now in verse 15, it says, And it happened the next day that he took a thick cloth and he dipped it in water and he spread it over his face so that he died. Probably the first time in this illness, Ben-Hadad probably had decent sleep because he'd got a word from God that, hey, this isn't terminal, you're going to recover. So even in a sickness, now he, can, now he can sleep well. But Hazel, now the wheels are spinning, right? And so now he does what the prophet of God told him he was going to do. And he takes this heavy cloth, different in water, and he suffocates him. And it says, so that he died and Hazel reigned in his place. We will find in a fake act of honor in chapter 13 this, that this Hazel will name his son Ben-Hadad as a phony tribute to his king that he just assassinated. Another point here for us to, to think about is this. That the enemy will stop you when you seek God sincerely. Ben-Hadad was a pagan. But he was sincerely, because of uh, illness, he was sincerely seeking Jehovah God. And how many of you know the enemy, Satan, will always send somebody to try to suffocate that out of you? Amen? How many of you this morning, well, I guess not you, but how many people this morning said last night, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. But something came up. Right? 
The enemy will try to suffocate you from getting to God and God from getting to you. How many do not raise your hands? Do not raise your hands. How many of you had a fight with your spouse on the way to church today? Uh, don't raise your hands. That's why Kelly and I drive separate. No, that's not why. That is not why. But the enemy will do everything he can to stop us, right? He will try to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. Well, let's look at the second part here. Verses 16 through 24 says this. Now, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, this is Ahab and wicked Jezebel. They were terrible kings and queens. In fact, evil is always uh, mentioned by their names. That's how bad they were. It says, now, in his fifth year that he reigned, Jehoshaphat, who Jehoshaphat was a good king of Judah, he had a son, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. He became king to reign in Judah. So now we have Ahab's son and Jehoshaphat's son now reigning in their prospective countries. Verse 17, he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned for eight years in Jerusalem. Now remember, he's the king of Judah. At this time, Judah was still following Jehovah because of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good godly king, but Jehoshaphat had one soft spot that caused him problems throughout his whole life. And that was he had a hard time standing up to his brother, the Israelites. He was three times we have read he made an association with Ahab and Israel and each time it, it landed in devastation. Right now, check out this this one here. He's 32 years. He's 32 years old. His son, verse 18, Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, he walked in the ways of the king of Israel. So he's the king of Judah, who's the godly nation, but now we got a very ungodly president. I mean, king. Now, I'm not talking about our president, but that's the leadership role, right? But he's acting like the pagan nations and not godly. You see what's happening here? Just like the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. Now check it out. For the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel was his wife. When God told Jehoshaphat, you're not to be dealing and having treaties with Israel because they've forsaken me. He made treaties and did deals with Israel. And because of that, the result of that was their kids married. And just like Jezebel influenced Ahab, Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah is her name, influenced to the negative, Jehoshaphat's son. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now look at our good and awesome God in verse 19. Yet the Lord would not destroy him. I'm sorry, I lost my place. The world would not destroyed Judah for the sake of his servant David as he promised to give him a lamp to him and his sons forever. God will stand by his word even when man removes himself from God's word. Isn't that great? We have a solid God. We don't have to do our best to try to, to hope to please God, to hope to, to make it to eternity in favor with God. We have the assurance of God. We have his word. Verse 20. Now, here's what will start applying to our life. Okay, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. In the application of this to you and I is this. 
if we as Christians, pictured as the nation Judah here, if we as a Christian start living like the world, start living like Ahab and Jezebel, start neglecting God, those things that we once had conquered and were subject to us, those habits, those activities, those people in our life, they will slowly revolt against us. And we will find ourselves again caught in activities, caught in addictions that God at one time had brought us out of. Does that make any sense? When I'd minister at church on the street, I would sometimes get very in the flesh and that was wrong because I'd go there every month and I was praying for the same person every month to be delivered from the same thing that they'd been delivered for the month before. What was the difference? The difference was it only lasted Sunday. And by Tuesday the next week, they're going to the same places. They're hanging out with the same people. They're doing the same thing. Right? You guys see, see what's happening? So when you start getting away from God and His authority and His leadership, hey, the enemy's going to revolt. And now what you have once mastered and conquered is coming back. Does that make sense? And so Edom is now doing that. So Joram went to Zar and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and he attacked the Edomites. Now he's trying to fight them under his own. And they had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled from their tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And not only is Edom now revolting, how many of you know sin, it starts growing and getting bigger and, and all that stuff, right? You, you ever notice it's easier to, to get people to attend a party than a prayer meeting? Now we got Libna joining the revolt. We will learn in 2 Chronicles chapter 21 that more nations start coming against and revolting against Judah. Why is that? Because the one king decided he was going to follow the ways of Ahab and Jezebel and not the ways of Jehoshaphat. Friends, the world is very serious and very real and very devastating. Amen? Let's keep going. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? They are. So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahiazah, his son, reigned in his place. We will learn more about this in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 21. 2 Kings doesn't give a lot of attention to it, but it will fill in. Let's finish the chapter and then we will be done. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I had one scripture that I wanted to give. 2 Chronicles 36, 16. This actually was supposed to go up at verse 19. I told you this was this stuff is recorded more in depth in 2 Chronicles. Before, when, before Edom started revolting and all this, this is what happened. But the people mocked the messengers of God. The preachers that, that would come to say, hey, you guys need to straighten out. Hey, you guys need to return to God. You guys need to repent of your sin. You guys need to live right. They mocked them. You ever notice people will mock you for serving God? People will mock you for living by the Word of God? Nothing new under the sun. They mocked the messengers of God, and look what, they despised His Word, and they scoffed at His prophets. They rejected the Word of God. Friends, we got people trying to rewrite the Bible. That's a way of mocking it and despising it. They scoffed at his prophets. The sad part, can I just do a little clay version here? The sad part of this, them mock, they scoffing and mocking the prophets, 
is we see a lot of modern preachers today responding to the scoffing and changing their message instead of resisting the scoffing. Does that make sense? Does that, right? They'd rather sugarcoat the message so that they're not mocked than to stand true in the Word of God and get, get ridiculed. You know how God prepares you your whole life for what you're doing for your ministry? I was teased terribly as a, ch a child. I was very overweight. I knocked kneed. I couldn't run. I had this face. Can't talk well, still can. I was teased terribly as a child, but you know what it did? Scoffing doesn't bother me now. So when people give me a hard time for preaching the gospel, guess what? It's like rubber bullets. Bing. You know, I get mad a little bit, but who cares? Right? They scoffed as prophets. And look what happens when you start resisting God and turning away from His Word. And the wrath of the Lord. Wait, Jesus is love. Yeah. And God's wrath is real. I've read Revelation. And the wrath of the Lord arose against His people till there was no remedy. That is a scary truth. Friends, can I tell you today there is still a remedy available? Doesn't matter how bad people have been. Doesn't matter what sins you've committed. There's still a remedy and that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gilbert talked about it. We thought about it in reflection on communion. Friends, the simple message is we're hurting people and Jesus Christ is our answer. We read these interesting stories in the Old Testament we think, man, how horrible. And I'm so glad I don't live in those days. I, I love AC. <laughs> but God still has a remedy for us. And it's found in His Son, Jesus Christ. Put that back up. Oh, I did finish it. Never mind. You were right. <laughs> Sorry, Trudy. We still have the remedy. Amen? Jesus Christ. Let's finish this up because I said we'd get out on time and it's almost time. Where did I leave off? 25. Thank you. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahiazah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Once again, more of this is recorded in Second Chronicles. I, put, I gave a couple of scriptures Kings didn't go much into it. As I was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. This is Ahab and Jezebel's daughter that married the king. That's who that is. And he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. He was a bad guy too. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. So he just continued the family tradition. Verse 28, and he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazel, the king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilad, and the Syrians wounded him. So once again, he buddies up, and they're going to go attack Ben-Hadad. Now, obviously, this happened before the events we just read about, uh, where Ben-Hadad was, was sick and, and murdered, right? Then King Joram went... I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, verse 29. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to... Where did I... Oh, 28. 28. Let me start at 20. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazel, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded him. And so King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds 
which the Syrians had inflicted on him against Hazel, king of Syria, and Ahazai, the son of Joram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. So here we see the cousins come together and checking on each other there. Uh, a weird bit, right? So let me close up with this. We have the remedy found in our Lord Jesus. I want to give you a little assignment for next week. Next week when we get into chapter 9, keep your Bibles open, I want to call your attention to our, our text there. In chapter 9, I want you to read chapter 9 because that's what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to be meeting this very, very interesting character. And he's going to be a fantastic uh, character study. His name is uh, Jehu. Jehu. J-E-H-U. And the reason he's so interesting is because if you look at some Bible commentators and some Bible preachers and teachers and scholars, they call this guy Jehu a hero of the faith. Notice, if you would please, chapter 10 verse 30 and this is just to prepare you for your homework chapter 10 verse 30 says and the lord said to jehu because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of ahab all that was in my heart your son shall sit on the throne of israel to the fourth generation because of that one scripture and some things that he did a lot of bible scholars will call him a hero of the faith. Now, you look at some of the other commentators, some of the other Bible teachers, they call him a villain of the faith. What's the difference? Look at verse 31, 10.31. We just read 10.30, look 10.31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel sin. So here we see a guy that causes some confusion to Bible teachers and Christians, but we're going to dig into that next week and find out some very, very important lessons for us to apply to our life. Amen? All right, let's stand. And we are on time. Praise the Lord. If you're visiting with us, this might be a little bit different uh, church service than you're used to. We're just starting our way through the Bible. We're going through it completely. That's the way God gave it to us. That's how we believe we should be studying it. And so that's why we do it this way. What we do at the end of our Bible study is the worship team is going to come back on stage. And I'm going to say a conclusion prayer here of our study. But then we're going to open up the altars for prayer. And we're going to give you an opportunity to pray. Myself, the fellas, Kelly's going to join me up front. And we're going to open the altars and invite you that if you have a prayer need or request, we invite you to come forward. We'd like to pray with you and for you. Friends, this is kind of an interesting study today. Uh, we saw some stuff that was shocking. Saw some stuff that we can kind of understand why you don't hear a lot of preaching out of it. But God gave us His entire Word and He told us in 2 Timothy, that his entire word is inspired and God breathed, and it is profitable. Right? So we need to heed the lessons, even in those strange chapters that we might not find very popular. The greatest lesson today, friends, is this that there is a very real enemy, but there is a very real 
very true, a very loving God. There is a remedy for whatever your need is. Physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, whatever it is, friends, the answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting ready to go into the Christmas season where we kind of focus our attention on the birth of the Lord Jesus. And He was born so that He can deliver you. He was born so that He can meet your needs. He was born to be our remedy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your awesome Word. Thank You, God, that we can study it the way that we do. And Father, I pray that in spite of me, Lord, I pray that You'd speak to every heart. Father, I ask that this study would not end today. That, Lord, that You would, as we reflect upon what we went through today, would You speak to us each individually and and show us what parts we need to apply to our life. Father, thank You that we can study Your Bible. Now help us to live by it. Father, I pray that today You'd meet every need, that You'd answer every question. And I pray that You'd stop the enemy from hindering what You're doing in our life. For it's in Your precious name we pray these things, and together we all would say, Amen. Join us in... Worship, be in an attitude of prayer and worship as the worship team leads us in a song. I'm going to ask fellas, Kelly, to join me up front. And we're going to open the altars for prayer. If you have a prayer need, if you need prayer, we invite you to come forward now. And then when that's over, and that's usually only about the length of a song, we will dismiss in a congregational prayer. Amen? God bless you. Because you were forsaken, but I'm accepted.